After constantly being bombarded with emails, phone calls, and text messages on a daily basis asking, what would you do? Sometimes it's an, oh crap, I made a mistake, help me. And sometimes it's just a question about the latest technology and do we feel it's worth the investment? We want to help answer all of these questions. So welcome to What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. We'll be interviewing experts in the industry to help answer the questions that you desire to know the answers to. And now, it's time for What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. Hello, and welcome to What Would Larry Do? I am Dr. Ann, and I'm here with Larry Helwig. So we have an interesting topic today. We're going to talk about the wrong road traveled, how to get yourself in trouble in the aesthetic world. So Larry and I travel all over. Both of us train for multiple different companies, as well as, you know, we go to conferences and see people. And Larry, tell me what are some of the issues that you have seen happen in the non-invasive aesthetics world? So we're And I want to clarify that real quick. We're not going to be focusing on surgery today because we don't do surgery in our office and we want to talk about the non-invasive aesthetics world. So what are some things you've seen happen out there? Well, typically in most offices, uh, people have technology and it happens many times with new technology. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a, or a new technician, someone who doesn't have a lot of experience, have, has not used the technology and they're doing a treatment. It could be hair removal. It could be a photofacial. It could be a number of things where they maybe burn the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, could lead to hyperpigmentation or hypopigmentation where you lose all pigment in the skin. And these things happen. And sometimes uh, we don't always know why. Uh, was it the setting? Was it uh, too much pigment in the skin? Well, did the patient get too much sun exposure, things like that. But like a burn would be a typical thing that you would find. Mm-hmm. That's very common. Yep. Uh, sometimes scars. Yeah. So you can scar a patient with different technologies. That's another thing. Um, yeah. I remember one of those bad ones that we heard from, from a case. So Larry does a lot of um, expert witnessing on cases. And there was one where a patient had been treated with a full field resurfacing laser instead of a fractional resurfacing laser on the body at very high settings. And it was the simple mistake of an untrained laser technician firing this piece of equipment and putting it on the wrong setting and permanently disfiguring this patient's legs. It was terrible. So there are things you can't do. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's obviously horrible for that patient Mm -hmm. and there's good news bad news the the good news is most of this stuff doesn't happen very very often you know this isn't a everyday common everywhere type thing no it's just when it happens what do you see how do you deal with it Mm -hmm. right you know what are the issues and i think you know if everyone knows and understands things can happen in any situation Highly unlikely. Yeah. Okay. But, well, but, but, but I think, you know, the scary things, the scary things, you know, like hypopigment, if we completely hypopigment your whole face, uh, you're going to be white. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to, you know, that, that's it. I mean, that would be, you know, that's a major problem. Yeah. And in the old days with CO2 lasers where they did full ablation, that was much more common. 
Yeah. And you'd see it. And then you, when you looked at the neck, you would see demarcations. So the face would be white, would have a lot of makeup, but otherwise it'd be white. And you'd see a demarcation at, at the neck, just mm-hmm. under the jawline. Sometimes you'd see what we would call raccoon eyes. Mm-hmm. So where the eyes were treated and it left them hypopigmented. So now the eyes are white and the rest of the skin is darker. So that's, you know, that's the hypopigmentation. And you can have individual areas of hypopigmentation from other treatments as well. So it's usually an issue of the melanocytes getting too hot too fast and on darker skin types. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's normally what you're dealing with with that. Yeah. There are issues like blindness mm-hmm. and occlusion. And some lasers have the ability to blind. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's injectables. Yes. So, you know. Including an artery can, is a good way to lead to blindness. Exactly. So I understand there was a, uh, a scenario where a physician somewhere in California blinded a patient both eyes. And I believe... Um, he was treating vessels around the eye. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, there is particular laser um, that is really ideal for vessels. It's called a neodymium YAG, and it has a wavelength of 1,064 nanometers. And it's ideal for leg veins, facial, mm-hmm. big facial vessels, things like that. But the thing is, is that it, it will blind you. It will go to the retina and burn the retina. You can't, you know, correct it. And, uh, you know, so you could be blind. And because the retina has no sensory nerves, you wouldn't even feel it. Yeah, if it happened. Yep. So, you know, there are things, you know, just knowing and understanding what you can and can't do. So that could be a problem uh, with some treatments you could have uh, nerve damage mm-hmm. you know that's a that's a possibility and um, I remember that uh, one of the people we knew had a treatment for excessive sweating yes you remember that one? Oh, yes I do yeah and he came in and he he was at an office got a treatment for excessive sweating in the armpits mhm so hyperhidrosis that's that's what it's called and so there's a device out there that treats that and you but you do have to do nerve blocks and you have to inject inject the patient and things to do it because otherwise you know it'd be very painful and they did that and he had such nerve damage and and it has come back yeah, but it it regenerated over like a year or yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Well, so, it literally damaged his brachial plexus, which is the major nerve formation right up underneath the armpit that affects. And it seemed like it had only gotten the lower part of it or like the ulnar portion of it yeah. because it was the, um, you know, the lateral aspects of his hand that had literally atrophied from that nerve damage. And I want to say it stayed like that for, I think it took like nine or 12 months before it started to regenerate some tissue and come back. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting side effect that we didn't, it was not at our office. We did not own the equipment. We knew of the device and we didn't know that that was actually a side effect of the device. And so I think a lot of people didn't know that at first, but also nerve damage can come from fillers. It can come from any device like radio frequency devices that you insert underneath the skin or into the skin you're too close to a nerve 
anybody who's using um, different mesotherapy techniques to dissolve fat, you can get too close to nerves and damage them. So there's a lot of different ways to cause nerve damage if people are unaware of the anatomy in the area. That's right. Another another one is infection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, if you're doing treatments where you are creating an open wound yeah. of any kind, you know, uh, again, we do a lot of resurfacing, and that's an open wound. Yeah. And um, I'm, we're sitting here, Ann and I are sitting here with two people right now that I know want that treatment <laughs> and, and would certainly benefit from that treatment. Um, oh, Larry. Uh, I just had to throw that out. Yeah, he's um, picking on them right yeah. now is what he's doing. But no, really, uh, you have no skin, no skin on your face. You have no protection from infection. And if you go do something stupid, yeah. you're getting an infection. You go home and you play with Fluffy and, and you know, I mean. Clean again, Fluffy's litter box. Yeah, whatever, you know. So there's things like that that happen. And sometimes, you know, the clinic, you know, perhaps fail to give you all the information mm-hmm. and educate you on what what could and could not happen. Sometimes maybe the clinic um, treated you too aggressively or, you know, something like that. And so there are different scenarios that can cause any one of those type complications. Mm-hmm. And every situation is different. But I think the key to it really is, um, you know, the, the, where does the mistake begin? Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, and before we get there, what is a common mistake that most people will make in the aesthetics world? But it, it, it's, it's very much, I think, starts with the consultation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, we're doing the wrong treatment on the patient. Yeah. That patient should not be getting that treatment. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the health history and, uh, you know, they're on anticoagulants or they're this or they're that or, you know, mm-hmm. who knows. Maybe they're very immune compromised and we're, we're doing something very aggressive. Yeah. So you, you have to take a look at that and understand exactly what's going on in the consultation. So you, that, that's what that consultation is for. It's not just, well, what are, what are we going to do? It's taking a look at the patient. Is this right for the patient? Mm-hmm. Is this something that's going to make a difference in a positive way? Uh, you know, what are the risks? You know, and, and the patient needs to be aware of all that. And uh, so I think that's very, very important. And then... Well, and for any of you who missed our episode last week, we actually specifically talked about the art of the consultation and why it's so important. And, and really, if it's the not the right treatment for the patient, don't sell it to them. That's something that Larry and I have in common and the reason why we really work well together. There's definitely what I call like kind of turn and burn clinics out there where when you come in, they're going to sell something to you regardless of what it is just because they want to sell something to you, even if it's not right for you. And, and I don't agree with that, neither does Larry. If, if somebody literally was to come in, and which typically doesn't happen because we have so many pieces of equipment, but if they were to come into our office and we were to do the consult and we felt that we really did not have what was right for them, we would refer them to somebody else who does. And, you know, it's funny you brought up an interesting point. The one time we do do that regularly is vessels around the eyes because neither of us will treat them. We don't want the risk of blinding somebody. So if you come with vessels that are inside your orbital rim, so up close to that eyeball, I will send you to an ocular surgeon to have those looked at. I will not touch them in my office because I, I don't want the risk of doing what that doctor did. And we do the exact same thing. Like if you're so 
the skin types is what's called a Fitzpatrick skin scale mm-hmm. that goes, uh, you know, from skin type one, which would be Nicole Kidman, to mm-hmm. skin type six, which would be Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of how it works. And if you came to our office with a skin type six and wanted certain treatments, well, we don't treat a lot of skin type six patients. We mm-hmm. just that we don't have that experience. It, mm-hmm. It's not. You know, that we don't want to. It's just we don't have that patient population. And so we lack experience in doing that. And so we refer those patients to someone who has a tremendous amount of experience in, in, in treating Fitzpatrick 5 and 6. Yeah, we have skin a dermatologist who's a good friend who is actually an expert at Fit, Fitzpatrick 5 and 6 skin types. And that's for lasers mostly for that aspect because yeah. we still treat for microneedling and things that are safe. But Larry's right is we actually don't have the right piece of equipment for certain things that they want, want uh, done. So we won't sell them what we do have because it would be the wrong thing to do. And we would end up burning them, hypopigmenting them, doing something that would be terrible. So we're willing to say we're, we don't have the right stuff to treat you. Let us and we actually give the referral. Here is somebody who does let us send you there. And every time he sends somebody, they thank him. You know, they're, they're grateful that he's willing to say, I don't know what to do to fix you, but here is somebody who does. And even though we many times have the technology to treat them, we don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have the best technology in the world that will do, allow you to do anything, you know, pretty much. But if you're not experienced at it and you know someone else is, do the right thing. Yeah. If you always do the right thing, things come out just fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just think that's important in that situation. Well, and that was the other part of this question where the most common mistake that people make is in the consultation, not doing it well, selling the wrong thing. But the other part is that lack of proper training. Um, in most states in the United States, there is no requirement for training. None. Yeah. And we're in some of those offices where there's technicians who've never had formal training whatsoever with the laser, or they had, you know, a couple hours of buttonology. You push this button, this happens. You push that button, that happens. That's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that's a very scary scenario. Oh, uh, so scary. Know. You do need to know what you're doing. You need to understand it. And I think the more training you have, the better you are, the more confident, and the more, obviously, more comfortable and competent you are. But I think that shows through to the patient as well. I mean, if you know what you're doing, that patient is going to sense it. But if you don't really know inside out, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of very inexperienced people with uh, not perhaps the greatest training, uh, if any, uh, doing treatments that they probably should not be doing. And it's someone's license is at risk. And so I think as a patient, when you're going out, you have to ask those questions. You know, are you experienced? Have you done this? Um, you know, do you know what you're doing? How long have you been doing this? I think those are very valid questions. And, and you know, there are new people that are graduating from training programs. We, we have a training program. Mm-hmm. They graduate. 
And we believe that the people that come out of our program know what they're doing, that Mm -hmm. they get it, they understand it, they have all the basics and fundamentals, they have everything they need to go out and gain even more experience safely. And I think that's really the key. And, you know, a lot of offices, uh, Ann mentioned this, you know, you've got to use the right tool for what you're doing. And I know we've mentioned on other podcasts, you know, if if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's what you're going to do. And so uh, a lot of offices are using the wrong technology to treat things. And so the results are less than stellar to, you know, at the least and can be harmful at the most. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just be aware of that, but education and training, um, they, there has been, I was on the board of nursing scope of practice committee and I led the way on the, in the aesthetics world, as far as what kind of training and things like that. And everyone has sort of focused on nowadays you should have both, you know, PowerPoint, didactic, all that training along with hands-on. Mm-hmm. And if, if you think you can just, you know, read a book on this or watch a YouTube video on it, know how to go out and do it. And sometimes you can't believe how many people oh watch gosh. a YouTube video and, oh, okay, and try to go do it. I'm, I'm an expert. Now, I watch a YouTube ver- video on how to cook corn on the cob in a microwave so that it comes out so perfect it's unbelievable. <laughs> and, I, and I'm willing to risk that. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's corn on the cob, okay? I think I can do that and not hurt anybody. Um, but, you know, when you're watching a, a laser treatment on YouTube and you think, well, okay, that doesn't look that hard. I think I can go do that. There's a lot of risk there, and that's that's probably not the best education. Oh, my gosh. The perfect example is me. I literally watched a YouTube video about how to record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which you guys are like, well, you are recording a podcast. No, we're paying somebody to do it for us now. <laughs> I bought a microphone. I did all this stuff. And let me tell you, it did not turn out good. So we found somebody that does this for a living because they're an expert at it. <laughs> yeah. You should have seen Ann and I were sitting in my <laughs> office and we tried this, I don't know, three, four or five times. <laughs> We were, oh, just pathetic. Oh, so I, funny. It was like we, you know, we tried to, we acted like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> oh. It anyway. was. And that's like the perfect example of where people are watching YouTube tutorials on how to do different injection techniques or how to do all these different things and then going and trying it on somebody. You don't actually know what you're doing and there's only so much in that YouTube tutorial. And, you know, this kind of where your conversation started rolled me right over into the next question, which is, you know, what are some of the mistakes that can be easily avoided? And, you know, the proper training is the easiest one is continue to seek it out. Besides getting initial training, you and I attend conferences. We do trainings every year. So even though we are trainers for other people, we are constantly seeking out learning more knowledge and everything like that. I mean, for example, we have Dr. Ahn coming to our office next week. He's a famous dermatologist from South Korea who's invented and created uh, some amazing technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's actually going to be at our office. Uh, Dr. Chilla Curry was at mm-hmm. our office yep. uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, we were with Dr. Na, 
who invented and created some mm-hmm. technology that we also have. And he was at a workshop that we were uh, speaking at in Las Vegas. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, when you, when you actually go right to the people who have created and developed and have years and years of experience and you learn from them, well, I mean, you know, talk about you can't get a better mentor. Right. You're you're getting the best that you can possibly get. And I look at all these people as being incredible mentors to us. Yeah. And you can never stop learning. That's the thing is technology is always advancing. Things are changing. You know, I'm always continuing to try to learn more. And and that's why we encourage people that, you know, in order to avoid some of these common mistakes, get your proper training. Don't do your, your YouTube tutorial and go out there and just start winging it. Make sure you know what you're doing first. And you know what? Everybody will have to start new somewhere. Get your proper training. Then you bring in your friends and family members and you start trying things that are small, that are safe. And, you know, Larry listed off this scary, you know, um, all these different scary things that can happen out there in the aesthetics world. And I always teach my injectable students that a little bit of fear is good because it keeps you safe. Because if you're scared of occluding a vessel and blinding somebody, you're always going to think about that vessel when it's there and try your hardest never to do it. It's the people who are out there pulling a wild west, just slinging lasers and injectables and having no fear of where they put anything. That is what is scary. You know, it blows my mind that there's still states that will allow non-medical professionals to inject filler. And they have no, no background in anatomy of the face. Yeah, that that's a little crazy. Yeah. Which that'll be a conversation <clears throat> on one of our podcasts eventually. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, for example, the same thing. There's literally states that do not require any laser education in order to operate it. So anybody with no medical background, they do not have to be a doctor or nurse, anything. Anybody who's a regular person walking down the street can buy that laser, own it in their house, and immediately start treating people. There's no regulation. Not in Arizona. That's why we like Arizona. It's, it's, it's extremely strict, so sometimes it's hard, but it keeps us safe because you don't have Joe Schmo sitting down there on the corner, you know, photofacialing people in his garage and still having it be legal. <laughs> yeah. So well, training people. There are, uh, I've been in offices where I'm there to teach on a technology, and they're in another room doing another technology doing treatments, and they're coming and asking me, you know, what, what should I do with this? What should I do with that? And I'm thinking, I am here to teach a technology that's totally different from what you're asking me about. And what you're asking me, the students that have gone through our class would be able to answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they would know that. And you're doing that, and you've been doing it here for eight months, and you you're asking me those questions. So, you know, it's, you do have to be careful, right? Yeah. I, I just, just like you would with anything else, you know, you're going to take your car to a place that's reputable. You're going, you know, this is your face. This is your body. You know, I would hope you would do that. And we know that sometimes mistakes are made. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, celebrities have gone to Mexico. <laughs> Or allowed unlicensed (laughs) medical professionals to inject them with illegal products. (laughs) Yeah. So sometimes common sense goes haywire. Uh, But, you know, I I think if if the approach to this is we're using technology that's very powerful, does a great job. I mean, what we're doing today we could not do a few years ago. Mm -hmm. 
and nobody's giving that away. So it's all expensive to buy that technology, but it is it is making it so that you can literally do a non-surgical facelift, mm-hmm. and we do that. I mean, you know, you know, years ago we would not have been able to say that, but no. today you can do a non-surgical facelift, and the results. Not only is it every bit as good as any facelift, but on top of that, you have much younger, healthier skin, you know, all the way through. So I, I think, again, times have changed for the better when it comes to technology. But when you get technology that can make those kind of changes, don't you think training has to fit? Yeah. It should go hand in hand, right? And so I think nowadays training, doing really good training is is critical and we're we're big believers in it. We do workshops at our clinic all the time and uh, workshops all over. And let, let's go back to that YouTube video just a minute. I remember <laughs> watching a YouTube video where uh, a, a physician was doing a thread lift treatment where you put threads in the tissue and it was in the butt. Mm-hmm. And literally, he made it look like the easiest thing on the planet and, you know, he could do that with a face, with a neck, with anything. Just put those threads in very, very easy. All right, well, Dr. Ann does that, that same training at our office for face, neck, body, whatever, and putting threads in. And she makes it look easy, okay? But a lot of people trying to watch a YouTube video thinking, oh, I can go and do this. You know, if you're doing it and Anne is standing next to you and saying, okay, you need to be a little deeper, your, your plane is too high, too low, too whatever, you know, do this, do that, boom, golden, comes out great. But when you're just going off of watching a YouTube video where there's an expert who's done hundreds of these, mm-hmm. doing it on YouTube, of course it looks easy. Anybody, <laughs> oh, my, my kid could do this, right? Well, trust me, it's never quite like that. And you need to be with a professional who knows what they're doing when you do it and have them help you make some adjustments along the way so that when you go and really start doing it every day for a living and and treating patients, you know what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. anyway. And the final thing that I always feel like that are some easy mistakes to avoid is proper patient education. Everything that they can and cannot do. And I always say, make it dummy proof. You know, if you come in and get a neuromodulator from me, I'm going to repeat the same rules that you cannot do afterwards every single time I see you, even if I've been seeing you for 10 to 12 years. You know, it doesn't matter. And because I only see these patients every three to four months, even though they've been getting this for 10 years from me, they always say, you know what, thanks for reminding me because I always know there's certain things I can't do and I forget by the time I get in here. But when it comes to, we talked about infection earlier, you know, when with my filler patients, even though I'm only using small needles, you know, 27 gauge, or I'm using cannulas like a 25 or a 22 gauge, I tell all of my filler patients that they're not allowed to do anything with those areas that creates infection for 48 hours. No gyms because of MRSA, no hospitals because of MRSA, no going tubing down the Salt River out here, which if you're in Arizona, you know, is dirty cesspool. Uh, You cannot do that for 48 hours, right? Because you may go shower, you can get wet, your own showers clean water. But you go out and get in one of our lakes or rivers, there could be all kinds of bacteria. And even though the hole that I put in you is teeny tiny, there's still that opportunity for infection. And I make it dummy proof. I say the same thing 
I run through the list with them and I say, do you have any questions about what you can or cannot do? Every single time. And then I never end up with an issue from my filler patients or anything else. And we do the same for microneedling. So if you do not take the time to let your patients know all the things they can't do, they can go out and unknowingly do something stupid and end up with an infection, end up with a blister, end up with a burn. And, you know, it won't protect you 100% of times because I've had patients who choose not to follow rules, but you are protecting yourself by making sure that they are well aware of it. And I highly recommend a written or emailed post-care with your patients as well as verbally talking to them about it. And I think that that take-home post-care or that email post-care is critical. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at, at, the, at the moment, you're, you're listening to what Anne is saying or what somebody is saying, and you think you're getting it, but you don't. You never are going to remember it all. And so at least if you have something in writing that you can refer to. Um, I had a major procedure recently. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have my post-care oh, my gosh. at home. And so <laughs> I did, mm-hmm. did my own thing. So anyway, yeah. don't do that. Always get your post-care. <laughs> yeah. He's going to try to blame it on me not giving him a written post-care. Okay. <laughs> I don't think the listeners are going to believe that one, Larry. I was just trying to push the envelope. I know. Bit. He admitted it's his fault. He didn't do what I told him to do. But, you know, even so, like we said, things can happen. So when they do happen, we're going to start to talk about that a little bit. First off, if, if an issue happens, is the patient always right? I think that's a it's a it's a two way street. I agree. You know, it, there's not a, a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. I, I I think for the most part, I, I would say the majority of patients out there always try to do the right thing. Yes. And I think the majority of technicians and laser people try to do the right thing. I mm-hmm. I, I, I truly believe that that the huge vast majority it's all good. It's all good. I think. Even under those circumstances, things can happen. Yeah. And I think that's the issue is, you know, and, and, and it's not so much who's right, who's wrong. It's all that. It's how you deal with the issue. Because, you know, the, the, the laser was right. The technician was right. The proper, uh, everything was done. Something happened. And, you know, you, you can't just say to the patient, well, it, it's your fault. And the patient, uh, you know, I don't know. They can say, blame you for it. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, what do you do about it? Yeah. Right? How is it solved? And um, I, I, I think for the most part, patients try to do the right thing, just mm-hmm. like the staff and everyone does. And, but but I, th- I think you have to get the patient back. It, you do. You've got to communicate. You've got to every single step of the way communicate exactly what's going on. Get photos mm-hmm. as much as you can. See what's going on and how do you go about solving the problem. So we've had issues come to us that happened at other offices where mm-hmm. we've solved the problem and we document it and we just take them through it. We don't make a big deal out of it, and a lot of times we've done it for free. Yeah. Just to help them. You know, it's, it's all about helping the patient. And, uh, 
you know, it's not, this isn't a, a blame game and pointing fingers and, and what have you. But, but with that being said, there are mistakes that happen. Yeah. You know, and, you know, as a patient, patients have rights, yeah. you know, and, and they have lawyers, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> we, Which, you know, everybody knows that. But, but again, if you know what you're doing and you're documenting what you're doing and you have that understanding and you're licensed to do it and you're, all of the things are all lined up properly. But the other thing is patient selection. Yeah. Are we treating the right patient? Mm-hmm. Because, again, if we... If we're treating someone who has, you know, a multitude of things going on, the likelihood is something else could happen. Yeah. You know, so you just have to look and you have to do that assessment. And that all happens at the time of the consultation. And I've always said a little bit anyway that the consultation is an interview both for the patient and for the laser office. Because you really do have to ask the questions, right? You have to ask the right questions and enough questions that everybody on both sides are comfortable. Yes. Otherwise, you know, one side does not work. It never works. It has to be both sides ready to go. Yep. Well, so we're kind of diving into this this part that I was getting into next is what are some of the strategies for handling these issues when they do happen? And you really talked about that, like communicate with the patient, especially in a professional manner, right? Like get them back in your office. That's right. Um, what are some other things that are important so you're not doubling down on your original mistake? Well, I, I think it all starts first off letting them know that you care mm-hmm. because you do. I mean, you cared when you treated them. You cared when you met them the first time and you still care. You know, if something happened, you still Care. You mm-hmm. want the best for them. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's key. And if you can communicate it and you do a good job communicating it, I think that's extremely helpful. So I think that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And n- understand that patient came to you for a reason. They thought you were the best, you know, in all likelihood. Or, I, you know, I don't know if they were price shopping or what, any of that, but I mean, You know, when someone comes to us for anything, especially anything major, we believe they've done their shopping and they've looked around and did their due diligence and they believe we're the best. Well, that didn't change. None Mm -hmm. of that has changed, but you have to communicate. Yeah, you do. You have to communicate and you have to follow up frequently. Like you said, let them know you care. Make sure that you're seeing them regularly, you know, because stuff does happen every now and then. And whether it's your fault or whether it's their fault, you should still take care of them. I had an issue happen once where a laser technician did um, hair removal on a man's chest. And when they got done, they went over the post care and he was not happy that he couldn't work out for 48 hours because of the heat. So the laser technician even brought me in to reiterate to him because, you know, he didn't believe her because she didn't have a medical background. So I went in there and said, look, sir, anytime you've had this amount of um, heat pumped into the area to kill the hair follicles, you're going to retain it for up to 48 hours. You can't do anything that creates heat. That includes a gym workout. So he's like, okay, fine, whatever. This is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, 5 o'clock the next morning, he wakes up, feels his chest. He's like, there's no heat. They don't know what they're talking about. Goes to the gym. Guess who was in my office that afternoon with a chest full of blisters? Now, he obviously, there was witnesses even with me and the laser tech because it was a huge argument that he couldn't do this. And he, luckily for me, admitted that he went and did it instead of blaming us and not admitting. 
But you know what? I took care of him. I was nice to him. I didn't. I wasn't like I told you so, and this is what would happen. I said, okay, well now that this has happened, you know why we said so. But here's what we have to do to fix it. And we followed up with him about every three to four days. We took care of him in order to make sure that not a single blister left a mark on him. And it was still technically my problem, even though it was his fault. But I was nice to him. I didn't throw him under the bus. And I just said, if you continue to do any treatments with me in the future, just so you know, (laughs) you cannot go to the gym or I'm not going to, you know, go through all this trouble with you next time. And he was apologetic afterwards. The good thing is I worked with him and I was never rude about it, but it was my problem. But you have to take that time to follow up with the patient. Um, I think it's harder sometimes for our practitioners when it actually is their fault. Well, I know that it's difficult because, you know, uh, everyone likes to play the blame game. Mm-hmm. And it is difficult when you know you've done something wrong or you use too much energy or whatever to have to come out and admit, okay, this is my problem. Mm-hmm. You know, but nowadays you have to be big enough and step up, own it. Yeah. You have to own it. You have to solve the problem. So if you create a problem, you solve the problem. And in most cases, you know, being an expert witness in lawsuits and what have you, I can tell you that normally within 12 months time, most issues are completely resolved mm-hmm. on their own. Now, in some cases, you do things to help that process during that time, which, which is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. no matter what. It's on you. Fix it. You know, solve it. And if six months, nine months, 12 months go, go by and, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong. There, recently, there was a, a case in which uh, something happened and the office did multiple treatments to solve the problem. And, uh, you know, just multiple. And when I saw the post photos versus, you know, the beginning, photo, the early on photos, and then mm-hmm. what had happened, the post photos were phenomenal because of all the other treatments this patient had gotten. For free. For free. I mean, not only was she totally clear, but she was tight, she was firm, she was like, you know, she got, she ended up getting substantially more, Mm -hmm. but, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens. No, and it is, and it's really that you just have to be willing to own up to it, like you said, which actually brings me to my next question. When do you apologize? Well, I would always apologize right up front for something having happened. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that puts you to blame. And actually in different states, there's different apology laws. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think my understanding is is that legally you can apologize and not be held in court mm-hmm. in, in Arizona Yep. for that. That's what I heard at a conference that I went to. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, everyone is going to be sorry for something that's happened. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if, if I'm the patient and something happens to me and somebody says they're sorry, I'm going to at least appreciate the fact that they're sorry about it. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is, well, okay, what can we do about it? Yeah. You know, how long is this going to last? You know, that kind of, you go down that road. But, but I think uh, starting with that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if everybody would agree with that, but I think a sorry is okay. I think so too. And And I have ended up with multiple patients in my chair correcting filler mistakes from other practitioners 
where they literally had gone back to the practitioner and the practitioner had told them, well, I think it looks fine, you know, and, and then the patient's devastated. And not only do they not trust them at this point because they know it looks bad and it's one, this is always when I break the cardinal rule of when Larry tells me in the consultation when they're telling you don't say anything because they'll ask me, do you think it looks bad? And if there is a big mistake, I'll be honest and say, look, it, this, I didn't see you before, although sometimes I get pre-photos. And I'll say, I, I don't think it looks aesthetically pre- pleasing. So I, I don't agree with how it is, and I would be happy to fix it. And of course, you know, if it had been my mistake and they had come back like that, I would immediately tell them because you know what? I've got the tools to fix it right then and there. Why would I let them walk around like that? Yeah. You know, it's, I, I just, I don't yeah. understand sometimes when they do that, where I agree with you, it's, it's hard to admit sometimes that it didn't go right. But if they come back in and they're upset and you do admit this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, let me fix it for you. They're usually pretty happy or at least saying, okay, I'm willing to work with you. And then you can get them to where they want to be. I think if you start out, you know, as a patient and you go into a facility that you know and you trust, you can ask all the questions so that you at least start to that point. Go to their website. See what kind of experience they have. Do do your homework. Go get your two or three different consultations and see what everyone is saying, how they treat you, how they do it. That's number one. Number mm-hmm. two, in the consultation itself, what comes up, you know? find out what they're saying, what, what comes up one way or the other, and what, um, you know, what tools, what technology, how are they going to do it, all that kind of stuff, and make sure it's a fit, that what they're going to do is a fit for what you want to have done, and, and you know, the expectation, patient expectations are critical. Make sure that they all match up. And then thirdly, they that whoever's doing the treatment has some experience, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you need to know what you're doing. If you do that, the likelihood of a problem is extremely rare. Anything can happen, but if it does happen, handle it calmly and professionally. Yes. And you know, I'm, I'm going to give my word of advice this time, but you know, we're getting ready to wrap up and you know, I always like to ask Larry, what would he do? And, you know, when it comes to things like this for the wrong road traveled, what my word of advice is to always let them know that you care. You know, one of the number one um, compliments I get from my patients is that I like you because I can actually tell that you care. Like I know that when I come to you, that you want to do the best job because I can tell that you care. And even if, you know, I was to mess up or if you're out there and you mess up, letting them know that you care, that they're upset or that this happened and that you want to fix it, that gets you out of it. The number one reason physicians get sued is because they felt the patient felt like they weren't listened to or that the physician did not care. And that's what it leads to. And Larry, what about you? So if you want to leave our Uh, listeners with one thing. I'm I'm staying with what you said. (laughs) (laughs) I totally, total agreement. And uh, that's the biggest mistake I think you can make is to, to not take the caring approach and the mm-hmm. caring attitude because uh, we're in that business. It should be a caring business from mm-hmm. start to finish. And so if, if you're not doing that, you're making a mistake to begin with. Yep, I agree. Well, thank you all the listeners for joining us today and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to What Would Larry Do? Featuring Dr. Ann. Hear it live each week here or anytime 24-7 on demand at starworldwidenetworks.com. 